Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Today's guest is Dan Hanford, who last year alone raised about $287 million. It's crazy. He got started in 2018 raising $4 million, and he's at 287 last year. It's crazy. We don't understand how in the world he did that. One thing I love, love about Dan is he just always thinks bigger, and he has scaled a very significant syndication company across multiple asset classes. So it's been a little while since we had him on the show. We're going to do that today. I just want to give a shout out to Ray, who left us a a review on Amazon for The Yellow Book. This is a great book for anyone interested in multifamily apartments and systems. It's very powerful, a must read if you're buying rental properties. So if you don't know what Ray's talking about, check us out on Amazon. Financial Freedom with Real Estate is the book, the same title as this podcast. And shout out for First Dealmaker, and it's actually a partnership, Bernie Lund, Steve Chen, and Justin Elliott. They closed a 29-unit deal in Augusta, Georgia for 1.4 million. And these are mentoring students of ours, working with Drew Whitson, one of our partners in their deals. And just really excited about our mentoring program. If you want to, you know, really kickstart your syndication and avoid the big mistakes, then check our mentoring program at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. We're the only program that guarantees results, meaning that if you don't do your syndication in 12 months, We'll continue working with you until you do. We have a system called the Dealmaker Blueprint and give you essentially unlimited access to do your deal. Really excited about that. Check it out at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor and set a call with us and let's have a conversation. With that, let's bring on a co-host, Garrett Lynch. Garrett, what's going on? What's going on, Michael? So it's interesting how the market is always shifting from literally one month to another and not even a year ago, multifamily reached a high point in prices, cap rates, the lowest. And it appears to me that multifamily is on sale right now. There's deep discounts going on. What's What are you seeing in the market right now? Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing that a lot of, there's a lot of elusive deals out there. So you're still seeing a ton of a gap between what people are willing to sell for and what you can buy for. But there are some crazy deals Right now in the market, the deal that we just picked up is on a 30% discount. It was literally under contract in the beginning of the year mm. for 35 million. And we're picking it up for under 25 million right now. So I cannot tell you how exciting of a time this is because we've we've been just competing on other deals that had a you know a lot of value add on the backside of them, and they're still great assets over the last couple of years, but now you're just seeing this huge drop off in price and it's a great time to get in and, and buy a multifamily property. I got two questions. The first one is why is there such a drop off in price? And the second one means that, you know, like the market, there's been a drop off in, in the stock market and there's really no guarantee it's going back up again, right? Mm -hmm. So the first one, why was there a drop off? And then why do we think it might even go back to where it was, you know, a little bit less than a year ago. So first of all, what explains this gigantic rapid drop in valuation? Well, if you look at what happened in 2022, uh, interest rates rose at the fastest rate in 40 years. So that shocked all the banks. It shocked the market. You know, you're, every time you turn around, there's a 75 BIP increase. That's scary. So you're, you're not able to get as high a leverage. 
your interest rates are not allowing you know certain deals to, to cash flow that once could at a certain point so the only way to offset it is to lower the price so that things can trade and that's the main reason i think also probably increased construction costs on value add properties you know that's that's also a factor not quite as as heavy but everything combined the main source of this is just that interest rate hike and we're seeing things cool down a little bit they're you know starting to shift back down on the treasury side so you have this window right now where prices just dropped off a cliff for a minute jump in you know we can't tell maybe the interest rates are going to continue to go up and there's going to be further discounts where maybe it's they're going to come back down and prices will adjust back up the other way we don't really know but we know right now is hot if you can land some right now you're in a really good spot well why do you think there's a temporary blip on the radar right i mean you, people could argue look you know as long as the, if the interest rates stay where they are which they're likely to stay why would prices ever go up i think they would only go up if if you start to see the the fed lower rates in that if they're going to stay where they're at and that's your prediction on what's going to happen you should see further decline because what's happening is people that have the short-term loans they're going to have to re-up those short-term loans and either extend and maybe they don't qualify for the extension because they can't operate it properly or maybe they can't afford the cap payment so you will see those deals pop off as the longer this goes on if interest rates go down those people might get saved if they go up then you're even in an even worse spot you're going to see even more deal flow come through i believe so the thing is a lot of these bridge loans they started out you know a couple like a year back so they're not really coming due yet so you're not seeing a ton of chaos quite quite yet but it's around the corner and there's a higher likelihood that things stay where they're at or go higher so that's what you need to look at hey. is hey who's who do we know out there that maybe is in this predicament it's not talking about it. Maybe we can look at some other stuff, make some offers behind the scenes on deals where we know that this is a problem. I think another factor was it wasn't just the rise in the interest rate. It was literally, and you, you hinted at it, it was the lowering of the, the loan proceeds from lenders because of the rate with which interest rates came up. So the, the LTV went from whatever, 75% to like 55, like overnight. 55, Boom. yeah. And now no one can buy any kind of deal anymore. And yeah. so- Your DSCR I mean, restrictions are, are much, that's right. much lower. Now, let me ask you this, though. If 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 rates were to stay the same and they mm -hmm. stabilized, wouldn't LTV slowly start to normalize back up to 75% at a higher interest rate, of course, but it's the LTV that crushed a lot of the prices? Yeah. The, well, the LTV is directly correlated to the interest rate because they have a debt service coverage ratio requirement on all deals. So that's really why they came down. But it was also a shock to a lot of these mm -hmm. banks. So yeah, they what they will, will probably happen is even if they stay the same, they may bring the leverage back up a bit and lower the DSCR requirements or something along those lines. It could also stay down. That's really why that happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're again we're very cautious in general, as should as should you. We do think, however, that we want to be ready for some opportunity this year because there are going to be operators that are going to get squeezed by the rise in interest rates. It's creating cash flow issues for a number of operators who are not operating at a very high level. And, and this is, I think, the first hint of more to come, uh, these kind of deals. So being ready to pick these things up. And this is why I think this is really a magical time to get started if you're not already in the business is to really, uh, if you want to be an active entrepreneur, to educate yourself right now. We talked about a mentor program. If you're looking for an alternative investment, 
and we want to invest passively, then check out our investment firm called NighthawkEquity.com and just schedule a call with us, right? If you're scratching your head going, where am I going to put my money? It's probably in cash right now, or my goodness, stock market, where's that thing going? So if you're looking at alternative investments, you're looking at interesting, you're looking at syndications, have a conversation with us. We'd love to partner with you on that. So with that, let's get into more of Dan Hanford's story. It's been just an amazing watching him scale his business from just four or five years ago. And let's peel back the the layers here and see how he's done it and see what you can glean from it. So you might be able to copy a few from his playbook. Dan Hanford, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. That's cool. So, you know, you've, you've had lots of success in syndications. You've raised, I don't know, close to half a billion dollars and you know, in a very short period of time. And sometimes when you hear these kind of numbers, people are like, oh, great, Dan, that's good for you. But how is that going to help me? I haven't raised any money yet. All right. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. How did you get started with raising money back in whenever you got started? What what was going on? How did you actually get in the game? Yeah. So you know, my, my, my background is really as a chiropractor. And, you know, I had I'd built some clinics up to the point where they were pretty much running on their own. I was still going in there as the CEO, running the day-to-day operations. But I really felt like I could step away from that business and started to focus on something else that I had already had some done. I had already done some research in, and real estate really was what I was wanting to go into. And so I, I stepped away from that full time. Made the decision on a Friday. Talked to my wife on a on a Saturday. Of course, she's like, "What are you talking about?" And then on on Saturday on Monday, I had a conversation with my my COO at the time, who I, I told him I wanted to promote him to the CEO position so I could step away, and. On Tuesday, made an announcement at 7.30 in the morning to my team, and that was in in February of 2018, and then started to really dive into the real estate side of things and hired hired a mentor, first started investing as an LP alongside some other groups to kind of see what it felt like from the LP's perspective, and then started to with my mentor, you know, raise some capital for a couple of projects. And then after raising capital for three projects, we ended up buying our very first deal in December of 2018. And we ended up raising about $4 million in 2018. Mm-hmm. 2019, we raised $32 million. 2020, we were at $61 million. And then in 2021, we went to 196 million. And last year in 2022, we ended up raising right at about 294 million dollars to get us to about we're right at about 530 million right now that we've raised since 2018. Yeah. So I understand that growth. That's 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 phenomenal. Congratulations on on that. Thank you. And you build a fantastic team as well in the process. Now, when when you first got started, there's different ways you can get into syndication. And you actually touched on several of them. I don't. I, I want to kind of shine on it. Number one, as you said, I want to be an LP, a passive investor, and just to kind of see what it is. And then, and then phase two is you got into capital raising, where you just raised capital before going into operations. Can you talk about the each of those phases in a little more, little more detail, so someone better understands the different ways you can get into the syndication business? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's helped us is that we invested. I say we, my wife and I invested on the LP side first to be able to kind of see kind of what it felt like, right? I also wanted to kind of know, 
like what I'd liked and what I didn't like as an LP. So I could change some of that messaging and, and maybe increase that communication process with our, our LPs so that we could continue to keep our LPs next to us. And we have a, a very high repeat investor rate. We're usually tra- we're tracking those very closely and we're about 72 to 73% repeat investor rate in every project that we put together. And that's very, very strong. And and, and one of the reasons why we have that is because we, we, we've we learned kind of what it felt like to be an LP and what we liked and what we didn't like and started to incorporate the things that we did like into our into our, our LP process. And then, of course, tried to remove the things that I didn't like about the LP process. And really, I think the number one thing that, that most investors keep on telling us day in and day out that we do really well is we have a lot of great communication, whether it's good communication or, or whether it's communication that's providing good news or bad news is it's just communication so that they don't have to be reactive in getting information. We're just very proactive about sharing updates to them. We give out updates on every single one of our assets by the 14th of every month and giving them the performance from the prior month. And then kind of looking at it from the perspective when we first got started of kind of like, you know, co-GPing and kind of partnering with other groups first, our main objective for doing that was that we didn't set out to, you know, be a capital raiser and partner with people to, to bring capital and kind of participate in projects to do that long term. It was kind of a stepping stone for, for Horace, right? Because we knew it was going to be hard for us to acquire, you know, our very first one was a $8.9 million asset, 130 units out of Greenville, South Carolina. That was our first acquisition, but no one would have like trusted us. No banks, no, no no investors would have trusted us to you know manage that type of an asset unless we had some form of a track record beforehand. And so being able to partner with these other groups allowed us to kind of like be in the room and kind of shadow and kind of get the the, the process down and allowed us to increase our credibility with not only the, the the investors but also the sellers and the brokers as well as of course the lenders. So they were more confident in us being able to you know basically give us money to be able to. To manage it for them. And then that's really what kind of catapulted us is that that track record that we built from the very beginning before we started going into the active side of it outside of just raising the capital. Yeah, that's that's really good insight. I am so curious because you guys just kind of, so you went to, the, you know, your Koji ping on things, but how did you guys close to 300 million a year? How did you scale up to that point? Because that is wild. <laughs> well, it's funny because we ask ourselves that same question, kind of like retrospectively look at it and go like, well, what is it that allowed us to be able to raise that kind of capital one year? Because, you know, there's, there's, you know, we definitely see, you know, groups out there that brag that they acquired that much cap, that much in assets every year. And we're, we're actually raising that in equity in, in a single year. And it definitely goes back to you know, from the very beginning, setting out that investor relations process to make sure that we, for lack of better words, you know, built a fence around our investors so that they could continue to invest with us. And so there's, I, I would say that there's not just one thing that we did that has got us to where we are today. It's kind of a, a, a an a exponential benefit of multiple things adding on together over over time that has allowed us to be able to build on that, you know, you know, month over month and even day after day that allows us to be able to build that credibility with our investors. And, you know, we don't have like 10,000 investors either. We like we we've raised 294 million in one year from a group of about 2,000 investors. So it's it's not that we're we're we have this like huge, huge list. But I will say that you know, we do have a huge list of investors, but only about 17% of them are actually investing in a project. So when we bring in 100 investors, only 17 of them at the end of the day are actually going to invest in something. The other ones are just kind of sitting on the sidelines, kind of watching us and then you know waiting to jump in when it's time for them to jump in. 
let's compare a little bit on how how you raised money in 2018 when you raised $4 million versus how you raised money, so let's say, last year when you raised you know almost $300 million. Compare the two. Well, how were you raising money back then? And then how did you raise money last year or yeah. now? So in that first year, it was very challenging because we really didn't have an investor base, right? And so, you know, most of the time you'll, you'll get information from different, you know, mentors and coaches and they'll say, you know, well, you know start with your, fa- your friends and family. Well, I had a few friends that invested with me, but I really didn't have, even up to this point, I really haven't had any family members invest with me. And it's because I, it's not that I don't have a good relationship with them. It's just, I don't have a very wealthy family. I don't come from a lot of money. And so it's not like I have a lot of, a lot of, and family members that have money to invest. And so that was really a no-go for me, right? I couldn't just go call up my dad or my rich uncle and say, hey, you know, would you invest 100K in my next deal? I, did, I didn't have that. And so it was really the relationship building of some of my, some of my really close friends that, because the, the biggest disconnect they had was, is I thought you were a chiropractor. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. Why, why are you asking me for, you know, 50 to a hundred thousand to invest and buy some real estate? It was a, so there was a, there was a messaging disconnect there, but my close friends that I knew had, had some, some ability to do that. They trusted me. They said, well, I, I know what Dan has built up to this point. I know he can continue to build and grow. And so I trust him. And so some of those investors have invested in every single one of the projects we've put together up to this point. And they've been very, they've, they've been a very, they've benefited very well with that. But at the very beginning, it was really, Scratching this, scratching like my, my, my list of friends. I remember like sitting down, taking my cell phone. One of the projects that I did was I went through all like the contacts on my list. And I was like, nope, 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 nope. Oh, yeah, maybe. And I would like write that person's name down and put them on a list, a contact list. And I'd keep scrolling on my phone and going, nope, 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 nope. And I'd find somebody that maybe. And so I'd like some make some phone calls to people that were in my contact list. But that was really kind of how I got started in the very beginning. So you got started that way. And then you had to, scale. So your scaling process was, you know, just on the capital side. I mean, this, this is something that most people, the majority of people out there cannot raise this much money. And you guys have figured out a way to scale to that. What was your scaling process to kind of get to this level of, of raising? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I would say that, that we started to do is to build out an authority platform that allowed us to be able to be in a, in a position where we're educating people that are interested in, in investing in multifamily. And, you know, and a lot of you who, who have, have followed me up to this point know that we have this educational platform called the Multifamily Investor Nation. And we're not selling any coaching programs or anything like that. But the whole purpose of that was to create created a, a authority platform that allowed us to be the educator to be able to teach people things, all things around multifamily. And we don't hold back on, and we do, we, we've done weekly webinars every single week. Now, of course, we're starting to incorporate our team members into that process as well. But we do weekly webinars that are free. We don't charge for them. Obviously, we post them on our YouTube channel, and that helps us get some more reach online <laughs> and stuff like that. But what what the whole purpose and goal of the Multifamily Investor Nation is to have people that are interested in multifamily investing go online and research it, find a video of us, find an article or, or find a webinar or whatever that want to join. And then they get connected with us and we teach them all things around multifamily and they go, holy cow, this is a lot of work. I don't really want to do this business. Here's my money. You do it, Dan, right? I want you to invest it for me. And so that that's the whole purpose of the whole multifamily investor nation is to create an authority platform that provides as much value as possible to people. And now we do have like live in-person 
uh, an event once a year. We also do some atten- like intensives throughout the year where we'll do a, an MFI and intensive on raising capital. Matter of fact, we just did one on private lending. Just it just wrapped up today in my office. We've done one on asset management and acquisitions and dispositions. And so we, we, we've started to do some of those types of like two-day like intensives where I workshop stop style with like 30 people max. But our goal is we, we, we definitely don't want to do any type of one-on-one coaching. We just, we just don't want to do that. We feel like that might hold us back from being able to continue to acquire and grow. And we really just want to stay like focused on the acquisition side of it and continue to fill our pipeline with new investors that are interested in investing with us. And, you know, when we, when we first got started, we had maybe, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 leads a month coming in. And, you know, now we keep track of that on a rolling 30 day basis. And, you know, we've had some months where we're getting, you know, six, seven, 800 leads in one 30 day rolling period. And, you know, right now I just pulled up for the webinar and we're sitting right at about 300. But, you know, every single month we're getting new people that are coming under, under our under our fold that we're constantly having phone calls with. Our, our investor relations associates are doing that. And, and we have a we have a full business with this, right? We're not we're not treating this like a like a like a like a hobby. It's not a nights and weekend thing for us. I mean, this is this is a full-time gig for us. And you know, we have you know over 50 full-time people that are now working directly with passiveinvesting.com from acquisitions and dispositions and our mm-hmm. our, our capital markets division, our asset management division, our finance team, you know, we have our investor relations team and our investor services team. And there's there's a huge burden there from a labor perspective. But one of the things that we did from the very beginning is making sure that we can continue to scale and grow our team as our portfolio continues to scale and grow at the same time. So Dan, how do you actually afford those people? If you're that bit, the big team, and we know how we like afford our staff and and what we're doing is what are you guys doing to be able to staff up a corporate team like that that can you know help the property management team on that kind of scale yeah so one of the things we did from the very beginning is is when we sat down as the partners, we said, you know what? We are not going to take home the asset management fees. Yes, we know we do make money on the acquisition fees and the upfront fees from when we were closing assets, but all the asset management fees moving forward are going to go towards growing our team. And so then the reason why we did that is that as the portfolio grows, we'll have more asset management fees coming in and allows our team to be able to grow with it. And so as we continue to acquire properties, we have a higher amount of asset management fees that are coming in. And as that continues to grow, we've continued to find different strategic positions that we need to hire on. And it's been very kind of like strategic of like, okay, you know, now we need to hire this person and now we need to hire that person and all of these different things are what we used to do as partners. And then as we continue to grow and scale, we've been able to hire people. We have a great, great solid core team. And, you know, we have, I mean, we're all remote. So we don't, we don't have, we have no plans of getting like a high rise downtown building and renting out an entire floor. And we could do that, but we, we feel like it's best for us to stay spread apart and we stay very well connected. We're in communication every single day and we feel like we're in the same office, but we're not. And I would say that even with the remote team, I wouldn't have probably done that if it weren't for COVID. You know, when COVID hit, it forced us to be remote and our team proved themselves to us that we could, we could, we could, we can actually manage this remote team and do it full time. And because of that, we've been able to hire on some really good, solid people, and they don't have to move away from where they are. As a matter of fact, we've had some move to other areas that they really wanted to be living because it was a lower cost of living, but they're still making a great income, right? And of course, there are some people that we strategically hire in different markets, like our investor relations people. And we have one out in the West Coast. We have one in Texas. We have one in the, in the, in the Carolinas. And we purposely spread them across like that because we wanted them to be able to be at different events that we want to, want to go to or you know, do host investor dinners. And you know we don't have to be flying 
flying from the East Coast to the West Coast and things like that. But those asset management fees are really kind of how we've been able to grow and scale our team is as those as we close more assets, we have more asset management fees coming in. The more asset management fees coming in, we get to build up, we get to go in and hire additional people to support us. I mean, you have you built a, a pretty large operation at this point, especially for a syndication business where comparatively speaking, you can control a huge number uh, amount of, of real estate for with a relatively small group of people. But what has been like your top challenge as you scale the company? <laughs> At this point, it's, it's acquisitions. Even last year and and you know twenty two, we, we we still had challenges trying to acquire assets. You know, we we still underwrote properties. We still you know looked at assets, but you know we didn't we didn't acquire as much as we wanted. You know, our our goal was to acquire seven hundred and fifty million in acquisitions, and you know we we did about six hundred and sixty one million last year in acquisitions. which was still good. It's not like I, like I'm, I'm upset or mad about that, but. We always try to set goals that we can that we, we can just barely reach that we can hopefully answer. We can hopefully, if I, I'd rather come short of a goal that's like seven hundred and fifty million versus setting the goal at like say five hundred million and coming short of that one, right? But from the from the biggest struggle, I would say is is really outside of acquisitions. I would say is being very strategic and, and hiring the right people from the very beginning. And you know, we we've only had. I want to say three people that have actually been hired on that have been let go since we started. So the people we we were hiring on are we we're hiring really good solid people, and you know one of the challenges that we had was making sure that we were hiring the right people because you know you 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 interview somebody but is it is it really the right person to hire on? And so last year we ended up hiring a director of HR, and that's her primary responsibility is to manage that piece of it for us. And because in the at the end of the day it was either us as the partners hiring people or we would delegate to that to some of our directors over the different departments and you know they would do the interview process and hire them but you know that's not what they're skilled at doing and so we we wanted to be able to bring some additional skill set in there so we can make sure we continue to make some some good strategic hiring decisions and i will say right now from the from the managing the people perspective is making sure that we have plenty of of residual training around leadership and time management and you know really being able to focus on the areas that are 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 more imp- are the most important right you know when you when you think about the 80 20 rule you know that's that really comes into play here when it comes to people and a lot of times we're just you know sitting around doing you know just putting out fires types of types of emails and communications but really focusing on like what is it that's going to move the needle for us as as a whole If you're interested in passively investing in multifamily syndications, we'd love to hear from you. Go to NighthawkEquity.com, click the join button and join our investment club. Fill out a short form and then you can have a call with us and we'd be happy to share with you some of our upcoming investment opportunities we have. That's NighthawkEquity.com. Talk to you soon. What's your outlook for this year and and how does that affect your, your goals for acquisitions and your capital raise goals? Yeah. So it's a great question. And, you know, we've had this conversation internally with our team about, you know, yes, we, we do feel like 2023 is going to be a, a challenging year, but we did not want to reduce our goals because of that. For the same reason of, you know, we didn't want to reduce our goal and say, okay, we only want to do, you know, you know, 300 million this year in acquisitions because, you know, the market's going to be challenging. We're going to say, we're going to, we want to still acquire another 750 million this year 
knowing that there's going to be some challenges, but we that allows us to be able to find those challenges and try to come up with the answers to and start to ask questions that we wouldn't be asking around how to get over some of those challenges and be able to continue to strive to be able to acquire the assets that we want to acquire. Now, I will say that you know one of the nice things about what we're doing right now is we have a diversification across asset classes. So even though maybe one asset class we might not be acquiring as much of right now, there's other asset classes that we can continue to look at. And multifamily is still the number one asset class that we, we hold. We have a little over $1.1 billion in assets under management just in multifamily. The other $300 million that we have under management is between self-storage, car wash, and hotel. And so even last year, the $661 million that we acquired in last year, $420 million of that was multifamily. So our core focus is still multifamily, but we have the acquisitions um, teams built out for each one of the different verticals, if you will, to be able to continue to acquire in those different asset classes. So let's talk about this other thing you did, which is really cool. You you guys decided to add in other asset classes. Why did you guys decide to do that? And how did you, you know, decide to operate those? Yeah. So one of the things we we do a lot is we have a lot of interactions with our investors and we do, you know, investor phone calls, obviously. We have investor follow-ups. We also have investor dinners. And one of the themes that we heard across the, the, the investors is that, are we going to start to look at other asset classes? And one of the reasons why we you know, kind of named our company PassiveInvesting.com and not MultifamilyInvesting.com or something like that is that we wanted to leave ourselves open from the very beginning to be able to add some additional alternative asset classes as we continue to grow and scale. And then once we started hearing some of that feedback from our investors, we, we wanted to start Start doing that, and so we actually, you know, started to bring on self storage, and then we brought on a hotel, and then we brought on the express car wash brand that we have that we started last year. And I will say this though that one of my experiences from my medical clinics is that when I we have four locations in our medical clinics, and when I grew from one location in the medical clinics to two locations, we made a mistake. And the mistake that we made is that we took our core team that was doing really well on the first clinic and cash flowing very nicely. And we just basically took them out and transplanted them into the new clinic. And guess mm. what? The new clinic was phenomenal. We, we, we reached profitability within the first month and we had a full new patient schedule. We were doing really, really well. But at the end of the quarter, we looked at the financials and guess what happened to the first clinic? It started to tank. It started to take a, to go take a nosedive. And it's because we took our core team out of what was really doing well and took them out and transplanted them into something that was new. And so with that experience, one of the things I learned is that you can't do that, right? And so one of the things we did not want to do, we have not done, is we haven't said, okay, multifamily acquisitions team, we want you to start acquiring self-storage. Then we're going to have you start to add that into the mix of what you're doing. We didn't want to do that. So from the very beginning, we said, okay, if we're going to open up and go into different asset classes, we want to be able to hire on a core team that can handle the acquisitions, the dispositions, the asset management, everything around that particular asset class. Now, there's certain there's certain areas like investor relations, investor services, and the finance team. All of those can be shared, right? I don't think you definitely necessarily need to have a separate team. Now, we've had to hire on additional team members because we have additional you know, things that have to get done from the finance team and stuff like that. But from the very beginning, we made sure that we hired on a separate team that, that would be over that particular you know, business unit or vertical of self-storage, and then another one for hotel, and then another one for the express car wash brand that we're building. 
What's your vision for PassiveInvesting.com? I mean, you guys are acquiring you know, a, a good amount of real estate every single year. Do you have an exit in mind or a vision or a longer term vision? Like, what do you what do you see? Yeah. So, I mean, I get asked this question a lot, Michael. And, you know, I, at this point, nobody could pay me what I would want to be able to exit this business right now. It's, it's so much fun. I enjoy it a lot. And I mean, it's just the thing that I probably enjoy about it the most is that as an entrepreneur, I like different things to do. I like change, right? I like to see new things added. I like to see new, new initiatives being created. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I kind of felt stuck in, in the clinics is that I got into a certain point and I was like, you know, I've, I've mastered this thing. I want to try something different, right? And so, you know, the nice thing about real estate, as you know, is that there's different asset classes. So adding on different asset classes is definitely going to be in the mix. You know, one of the things mm-hmm. that we're actually, you know, working on right now and we're investing our own money in first is a pickleball concept. So, oh, you know, pickleball, you said it all. Tell me, <laughs> where do I send the money? <laughs> yes. And I, mean, I started playing pickleball in May of last year. I've, I've been, I've been doing racket sports for, for many years and, fell in love with pickleball and, you know, really saw the demand for it. And so the partners put in our own money and we're building a 30,000 square foot facility with 12 courts. And we're developing an app that will run the whole thing with very low labor, if any at all, except for maybe maintenance or ancillary support staff with like, you know, running events and stuff. But that is going to be eventually going to be a franchise model. And we will likely syndicate that in, in some form or fashion. But of course, that's such a new concept that we can't just like all of a sudden, like, I wouldn't want to take the risk of taking somebody else's money and putting it into work like that when I haven't proven the concept myself, right? And so we're putting our own money into it first, developing all that stuff first. And then once we have the model proven, about a year from now, it's probably when we'll have a, a more like a concrete you know, ability to see some sort of path to profitability with them. But the, because of the, the pickleball is the number one fastest growing sport in America right now, that's definitely in high, high demand. Wow. That's, that's super cool. So when you go into each asset class, you have to kind of source people that know that. So how do you, who kind of, do you have like a quarterback that kind of tees up that, that sector, your business? How does it work on the people side as far as just finding those specialty people that work yeah, in the so, industry? Yeah. So each asset class, the way we've kind of started it is we, as the partners, start that asset class ourselves. So we'll go in there since we have our core team working on these other asset classes, we'll go in there and actually start to, you know, work on broker relations and building the relationships and touring assets and really figuring out the business side of it of of the acquisition side and making sure that the underwriting makes sense and the financials and then once we feel comfortable with it and we have that model, that's when we go out there and try to find people that we can bring on to the team very strategically. And 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 most of the people that we've brought on have been people that are like working with some other person that have more experience in that asset class, right? Because investors are going to ask us, like, you you just now started doing self-storage. Why would we trust you? Well, because we 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 are we did just get started in self-storage, but the people who are actually acquiring these assets and managing these assets, they have, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years experience, and we build on their credibility and bring them onto the team. Same thing with asset management around multifamily. Like we we had no experience managing multifamily assets, but you know what? Very early on in 2020, we actually hired on a asset manager who came from a institutional group and he managed a multi-billion dollar portfolio of multifamily for one of the largest national REITs in the country. And so for us, we were like, that's our guy. Like he has the experience and we're leveraging him. And yes, we may not have been managing assets through multiple market cycles, but we brought somebody on that has, right? So being able to hire on good quality support that has great experience and a very deep experience and a very 
a wide a amount of experience has been very, very helpful as we've continued to expand in these different asset classes. Obviously, there's not one for pickleball, <laughs> but that will be us because <laughs> it's, so, it's, so, it's so brand new, right? <laughs> yeah, but, who's the pickleball I, expert out there? <laughs> I'm probably the one that pushes it the most because I enjoy pickleball like, like a lot. And I'm, I'm usually out there playing a couple of times a week and the local people there all know me now as the guy who's building out the brand. And you know the brand that we're building out is called 24-Hour Pickleball. And so you can go to 24hourpickleball.com and find out more information there. But to be a, a kind of a country club style pickleball facility that's has membership base and does tournaments and league play and has revenue coming in from like like coaching revenue and we'll have you know food trucks come in and you know we'll have you know different types of of events that are happening and, and corporate events and so there'll there'll be somebody we'll have to hire on to kind of manage some of the event side of things. But there is nobody that's like in there checking people in and out or, you know, managing a pro shop. It's it's all going to be run by the app that we're actually developing right now that we're actually we should later this week or tomorrow or next week have an actual beta version of the software and the, and the app that we'll be able to test out, which is always cool when you start to develop something like that to kind of see the the working product of it and go, hey, let's let's, let's change this and modify this. And what about this feature? And what about that feature? And, and really see, seeing it come to life. I love it. I love it. Hey, Dan, how can people connect with you so they can keep track of all your crazy things you're up to? Yeah. So obviously you can go to passiveinvesting.com. One of the ways to connect with me on on LinkedIn is just go to linkwithdan.com. That just goes straight to my LinkedIn profile and you can connect with me there. And you know, obviously, you know, you can you can follow us on the multifamily investor nation podcast and you know the YouTube channel and the website and stuff like that. But those are the the primary ways to kind of reach out and then get connected. It's awesome, Dan. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. So I love how Dan is always tinkering, right? He's 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 just always thinking thinking big, right? He kind of scales something up and the you know, he then delegates it to someone and he gets in a different asset class, figures that out, and now he's getting in a pickleball. I love that. And he is a true entrepreneur because he's always looking for opportunity and he's not afraid to scale his business. So that's why I love that I love that about him. Yeah, it's Dan's an incredible guy. I mean, when I, I first met him, I don't know, maybe three years ago. And he was kind of just getting started, but he was like pretty hot on the scene, going nuts. Just, you know, had a, a very smart guy. And, you know, one of the things that's pretty unique about him is that he's always surrounding himself with the right people, whether it's the mentors, he's at like all, you know, the big events or his team. He's always figured that out and he's always figured out how to leverage relationships to get to make progress on big businesses and, and at the highest level. I think. The secret to syndication success, really for anyone you study, anyone who's who's done a deal, who's quit their job, who's scaling to a thousand units and beyond, they never do it alone. And I think Dan is really a great example of that. He never started this alone. He right from the beginning had partners. It was, you know, first he started investing with his wife, and then he started raising capital with other with other operators, got him in the game. And since then he's been just simply partnering to continue scaling his business. What else stuck out for you, Garrett? Yeah, I think um, you know when he talked about having residual training around the people that he had. I mean, that's one thing I think that gets undermined quite a bit in a lot of business is having those kind of systems and, and training and keeping people up to speed on whatever the the latest model you guys need to run inside your business to make it work. And when you have good training and other people training people, that just creates a you know a better culture and, and helps your operations run a lot better. So I, I love that he's doing that as a part of not just scaling, but training. Yeah, guys, bottom line is really if really get into this asset class if you haven't done done already. This is a great time to get started. We're we're looking at at 
multifamily that are at deep discounts. We think it's going to continue, you know, resuming and normalizing that when, that we've seen before. And we're looking forward to some opportunities. So join us with that on the on the passive investing side as well as become active as well. Check out all the resources at the Michael Blanc on the educational side and Nighthawk Equity on the investing side. We'd love to have you on board. It's going to be a great year. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.